Shabbat Shalom. Today I want to have a short study session, if you want, regarding Lagba Omer. Two days ago we had Lagba Omer, Wednesday night and Thursday, and Lagba Omer is an interesting day. And the truth is, if I ask you, what, what are we celebrating in Lagba Omer? What would you say to me? What, what, what's the big fuss and the big deal about Lagba Omer? Anyone knows? It's like, what, what are your associations when I speak about Lagba Omer? Don't look at the, you know, the, the handouts can't wait. Don't cheat. So bonfires. What else? Rabbi Akiva. Okay, what else? Dancing in the streets. What else? Hmm? Counting the Omer in general, which we will go in just a minute. If you look actually at the stained glass, that we have a stained glass for Lagba Omer. It's, like, it's kind of even amazing that we have a stained glass for Lagba Omer, because it's not such a huge day in the Jewish tradition. We actually see a bow with an arrow, and that's related to the Rabbi Akiba slash Bar Kochba revolt somehow. When I was a kid growing up, going to day school in Argentina, they would tell us stories about the Romans coming against us, and we would be pretending to be playing with bows and arrows because we Jews don't do well with bows and arrows. We do well with studying Torah. But when the Romans would come to chase us, we would be actually playing with bows and arrows. That was kind of the story, uh, which is a weird story, by the way. Uh, but so, a few years ago, I kind of tried to get a sense of what is Lagba Omer all about, and what I would try to show you is that Lagba Omer is what I like to call the metamorphosis of the metamorphosis. Do you remember Kafka's story about Samsa, Mr. Samsa? He woke up like a very disgusting bug. Well, that would be like the first metamorphosis. Lagba Omer is not a, a yucky bug. It's kind of the metamorphosis of a metamorphosis. metamorphosis. And I will try to show how you, how all this time in the Jewish calendar went from sad moments to happy moments to sad moments to happy moments. We don't know exactly what. And then we will be celebrating something that we shouldn't be celebrating to begin with. Or maybe yes. And that's the whole point. But before we get to that last point, as Ruthie said, and if you read on uh, the text number one, we need to understand that Lagba Omer, the 33rd day in the count of the Omer, is connected to the bigger picture of Sfirata Omer, the counting of the Omer that is taking us from Pesach to Shavuot. How many days? 49, and the 50th will be Shavuot. By the way, something that is very interesting, it's not for today because we don't have enough time, but if you read that text, you will notice that it's not that clear when you have to begin. When do you have to begin with the counting of the Omer? When do we begin counting of the Omer? The second day of Pesach. What does it say in the Torah? 
It's the day after the Shabbat. What's the Shabbat? So it doesn't make necessarily a whole lot of sense that we begin on the second day of Pesach. The only way we do that is because in the Talmud they say this Shabbat actually is like a holiday or festive day. So the word Shabbat here is referring to the first day of Pesach. Big leap of faith to understand one connected to the other. Okay? As I was explaining the other day, actually to Ed, we were talking about this, the problem of not anchoring the counting to a specific day after Pesach is that if you, you know, Shabbat falls in different days. So if you start counting after the Shabbat of Pesach, and that day moves along the calendar, what then is happening with Shavuot 50 days later? It changes dates. Okay? If you start counting after Shabbat, and Shabbat is a moving day, that means the Shavuot. One day will be falling on this date, and the other day will be falling on the, the next year, it will be falling on a different date. It's a problem. The rabbis wanted to anchor Pesach and Shavuot in fixed dates, so that is what they decided to do with the counting of the Omer. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but if you open a book of Jewish law, the Shulchan Aruch, for example, we read in text number two, it is customary not to get married between Pesach and Shavuot until Lagba Omer. You need to appreciate how Jews write law. So if you read this, this line, it is customary not to get married between Pesach and Shavuot until Lagba Omer. My question is, can you get married between Pesach and Shavuot? Yeah, no, who knows? It's very Jewish. Uh, you may say it is customary, which means that you don't have to follow the custom. Now, then it's, what's the meaning of it is customary not to get married between Pesach and Shavuot until Lagba Omer? Lagba Omer is before Shavuot. So it is up until Shavuot or is up until Lagba Omer? The, the way it is written is weird. Now, why don't we usually get married between Pesach and Shavuot until Lagba Omer? Because during that time, the students of Rabbi Akiva, ping, 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 it was named before, died. However, to do Erusin and Kiddushin, so to do the engagement and betrothal is okay. So again, can we or can we not? And even for Nisuin, for marriage, if someone did so, we do not punish him. So once again, can you or can you not? Jewish law will say both are correct, which is a wonderful way of writing law. And then the, the, this is the Sephardic voice of the Shulchan Aruch. The Ashkenazi voice, the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Yisraelis says, however, from Lagba Omer onwards, all, all this is permitted. So the, the Ashkenazi voice here is clear. It's saying from Pesach to Shavuot, maybe we don't. But we are all in the clear after Lagba Omer, you can do it. The same text says it is customary not to cut one's hair until Lagba Omer since it is said that that is when they stopped dying. So, according to what we read in a, you know, in, in a text as important as the Shulchan Aruch, from Pesach to Shavuot seems to be a period of 
kind of mourning, semi-mourning, semi-mourning. We don't get married. We don't cut our uh, hair nor shave our beards. Uh, and then, why? Because the students of Rabbi Akiva died. Why do we stop on Lagba Omer? Because they stopped dying. Okay. Now, the interesting thing is that when you go back to the Talmud, there is absolutely no mention of Lagba Omer. Zero. Zero. What we find in the Talmud and in a few other texts is the story of the Rabbi Akiva students dying, which is number three. Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 pairs of students, so 24,000 students, from Givat to Antipatris, and they all died in one period of time because they did not treat each other with respect. And the world was desolate until Rabbi Akiva came to our rabbis in the south and taught to them. This second group of disciples consists of Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon, and Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua. And these are the very ones who upheld the Torah at that time. It is thought that all of them died in the period from Pesach to Shavuot. So according to the Talmud, we do have a problem with a very fantastic story of 24,000 students dropping dead from diphtheria. diphtheria uh, that's what the Talmud says. Uh, because they didn't treat each other with respect. And it is only because Rabbi Akiva was able to teach a second generation of rabbis, among them the very famous Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, keep that name because it will come back, uh, the Torah was sustained and transmitted. So they died. So from Pesach to Shavuot should be happy or should be sad? It's an easy question, no tricky question. It should be sad, right? If you read that text from the Talmud, all of these times should be sad. The first time that we know that someone is saying that on Lagba Omer, they stop dying, is actually from the Meiri, which is the 13th century. And this text number four. There's, there is a received tradition from the Geonim, that on the 33rd day of the Omer, the deaths of Rabbi Akiva's students stopped. And we have the custom not to fast on this day. We also do not get married from Pesach until this time. So in the Middle Ages, 13th century, we start seeing that there is a connection between the Lagba Omer and the end of the mourning period, because that's when they stop dying. And that is then a day in which you should be happy or sad? Happy. So you cannot fast on Lagba Omer. Now, that's the first part of this idea of Lagba Omer being from sad moment to a happy moment. So uh, that's awesome. If you know anything about your bonfires, in Israel, they light all sorts of bonfires, and now it's so hot in Israel that half of Israel got burned. Okay, big, big, big uh, fires that actually, among other places, I think that where Elisha uh, spent some of his, his growing years in, in the moshav that the Rabbi Shomo Karlebach founded, 95% of that moshav was uh, burned in the fires of this year. Terrible, okay? But... Do you know where most traditional Jews go during Lagba Omer in Israel? 
No, they don't go to the sea. They go to Tzfat, or close to Tzfat, to Meron. And what do they do there? They cut the hairs of the three-year-old children. That's the first time children will get their haircuts, on Lagba Omer. And they do procession to what is located in Meron? The grave of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, one of the students of Rabbi Akiva. Very weird. We have people in Lagba Omer doing a procession or whatever. They are going hundreds and hundreds of people to the tombstone of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai to light bonfires and cut hair and a whole lot of things. So how is that connected with all of this? When you read the Zohar, medieval text that is adjudicated to Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai, at the very end of the Zohar, they speak about the death of Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai. And it says the following, on the day that Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai was to leave this world, he arranged his affairs. His friends came to his room and he said to them, now is a time of favor. I can now reveal to you holy things that haven't been revealed until now. All that day, the fire never left the room, and there was nobody who was able to approach because it was impossible. The light and the fire were surrounding him. When they came to remove his beer after his, his dead, the fire flew into the air and the fire danced before it. A small vo a voice was heard from heaven saying, Come and gather for the Ilula of Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai. Ilula means celebration, anniversary, something like that. But what is the Zohar describing? The death of Rabbi Shimon, which is a traumatic event. It doesn't speak about dates. But when the biggest rabbi of the generation dies, we should be happy or sad. Don't be afraid, unless you are like asleep. But some people say celebrating, but most people would say... We will get back to the celebration of a death, which is a theological interesting twist that is happening here. But most of us, when someone who is very dear to us dies, we are sad. Okay? The, even the Zohar itself says, Oi to the generation that is coming after Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai. When, when he's gone, the, the, the world is a bit darker because we... Lose the luminaries. Now, years, 200 years after the, the, the writing of the Zohar, we have Ovadia Bartenura, an Italian rabbi who then made his way to Israel. He writes in a letter to his brother, on the 18th of Iyar, the day of his death, so according to Rabbi Ovadia Bartenura, the Lagba Omer is then the death of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So we, you know, we went from sad occasion of all the Omer to happy occasion because they stopped dying. Now from marking the day of that day as the day of the death of a rabbi. People come from all over and, la and light big torches, not counting the everlasting lamp that is always lit at the grave. So from 15th century... We know that we go to the tombstone of Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai, who died on Lagba Omer, who knows, or who knew, and we light torches. 
So the torches appear already in 15th century. And then, in the times of the great, greatest Kabbalists of the 16th century, Rabbi Yitzhak Luria and all those folks, the, the people who wrote the Lechadodi, on the custom that people are accustomed to in Israel on the matter of visiting the graves of Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai and his son, Rabbi Eliezer, in the city of Meron during Lagba Omer, and to eat, drink, and rejoice there, I saw my teacher, Rabbi Yitzhak Luria, that he went once on Lagba Omer with all his household, and he sat there for the first three days of that week. And Rabbi Jonathan Sagis told me that one year before I went to study with my teacher, he brought his little son with the rest of his household and shaved his head according to the known custom, and he hosted a day of celebration and joy. It is a yard site, and yet they go, they gather, and they celebrate. For us, it's very weird. Happy, sad, happy, sad. And the truth is that it may be that there is some theological claim in terms of marking the yardside of a very important person, not with sadness, but with joy. For us, it's a strange concept. For us, 20th century. We tend to pretend that death doesn't exist. You know, it, we Americans don't like to cry out loud in public. And there is some celebration of life type of discourse in some of our uh, gatherings. But the truth is that I would say that most of us experience some sort of a quiet sadness that we don't necessarily want to show to the rest of the world. But if you go back to the Bible and you back, go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, for example, Ecclesiastes has a very famous verse at the beginning of the seventh chapter saying, Tov shem mishem and tov. It's better to have a good name than the, the best of the oils. Beyom mita miyom ivaldo. And it is better the day of your death than the day of your birth. That is what Ecclesiastes is saying there. And it's a weird passage. It is better the day that you die than the day that you are born. From there, there is a Midrash, number eight in your uh, handouts, that I want to share with you because I think that it may be behind this theology of going on Lagba Omer, the day of someone who died, to celebrate. When a person is born, everyone rejoices. When he dies, everyone cries. But that's not the way it should be. When a person is born, Everyone should be crying because it is not yet known whether or not he will follow a proper path in life. When he dies, everyone should be rejoicing since they know that he left this world in peace after living a good and proper life. To what can this be compared? To two ships that were in the ocean laden with merchandise. One ship was coming to the port, the other was leaving. People were praising the, cam the, the ship coming into port. Others stood by amazed and said, Why are you praising this ship and not the other? In reply, they said to them, We are praising the incoming ship since we know this ship has departed in peace and arrived, and arrived at its destination in peace. But what the future will bring to the ship that has just begun its journey, we do not know. So it is with the person who is born. We do not know the nature of, the future, of his future deeds. But when he leaves this world, 
we know the nature of his deeds. In this regard, marking with joy the death of Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai, to us, at the very beginning, sounds like completely crazy and some sort of a contradiction in terms. But after reading this text, you can say that even a, a sad moment, the moment of a death of a, of a big sage, should be a moment for us to be inspired and to try to celebrate his life and to follow in his footsteps. Okay? And I think that some of that is what is happening with Lagba Omer. It is a sad day. It is a good day. It is a celebratory day. All of that together. Do we know if Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai died on Lagba Omer? We actually don't know. Uh, is that important? Not so much. The point here is to use these dates as anchors in time to reflect on the passing of time, to reflect on the sad moments in our lives, the happy moments in our lives, and to try to make a dent in history somehow. Okay? The, the, the Israeli writer that won the Nobel Prize, Muel Yosef Agnon, writes in one of his books, he who has not seen the joy of Lagba Omer at Rabbi Shion Bar Yochai's grave in Meron has never seen rejoicing in his life. How come we are so happy in a day like, today, like, like, like two days ago on a, on a yard site of a big rabbi? Well, maybe because it is all about focusing on what the wonderful people around us who are no longer around us did in making this world a better place. Maybe the way of honoring them, not only Rabbi Shimon, but in general, all our family and friends who are no longer around, is to be able to recover all those good deeds, all that kindness, all that good, and replicate it as we move forward. In that regard, maybe happiness and sadness can come together because that is what life is all about, but we can try to make sure that we transcend the memories of those who are no longer around us in meaningful and fulfilling ways. So with that, I would say Shabbat Shalom.